Heat seeking panther now, heat seeking panther for you. Sweet. Cool. This is Heat Seeking Panther. I'm your host, Miles. This is your other host, Dave. Yeah, that's me. We're talking about bringing out the dead. Yes. Uh, Cage's 1999 uh, Martin Scorsese directed Tour de Force. This is the last Cage film of the 20th century. Is, I, th- yeah. I think. Yeah. It's, yes, you're right. It's, it's a weird one. Um, so this was not a successful film by a money metric. At least it, it was a big flop. Uh, it, really? Because the talent involved is almost staggering. Right. And I mean, and just the, the pedigree of... so. Martin Scorsese teaming up again with Paul Schrader, who wrote Taxi Driver. Raging Bull. And uh, Last Temptation of Christ to make what sounds like Taxi Driver with an ambulance. Um, I mean, which like with the exception of him being homicidal <laughs> is kind of pretty accurate. Yeah, it, it's it's um, it, it, yeah, it is and it isn't um, that movie. Uh and then starring Nick Cage, uh, John Goodman, John Goodman, Ving Rhames, Tom Sizemore, yeah, and um, Patricia Arquette, mm-hmm. Nicholas Cage's then wife. Um, were they married already when they were filming this? Yeah. yeah, yeah, and she she got the offer like separately from him, and she she didn't even. Oh, really? So he he didn't like get her into? The- no, she didn't want to do it because she was afraid that it would be. Uh, seen as nepotism, but her agent said it sent it in anyway, like put put in a bid, and then she auditioned and uh, got it, and she didn't like tell him for a while, and um, yeah, and then they were apparently they went to set in like separate cars and like didn't really talk on set just to kind of like keep a keep a wall between the, their uh, work relationship and their home relationship. They also divorced two years later, but um, yeah, but. It's from they, th- they were at a good was, place, I think, when this was going on. I think it was Captain Corelli that that set it off. I think <laughs> Patricia Arquette couldn't stand. She's like, this is where I draw. The she line. couldn't stand the man behind him. <laughs> she, she couldn't stand that fucking Italian accent that he does. <laughs> no, Patricia, please stay for me. Um. So. <laughs> uh. So, Dave, I want a demo tape of you doing. <laughs> no, you don't. <laughs> yes, uh, I want a demo tape of you doing Nick Cage doing an accent. <laughs> like if you just if you just go through and do every single accent that Nick Cage does, but but perform them as though you're impersonating Nick Cage. Nick Cage as every as, character yeah, that he's played with much. the Captain Corelli voice. Yeah, 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 yeah exactly. <laughs> uh, we'll do the. <laughs> I'm a camera boy. <laughs> I lost my hand. I lost my wife. <laughs> um, so, so it strikes me. So this movie is a weird one in terms of uh, Martin Scorsese's career. Uh, and audiences didn't see it. They just, they, critics really liked it um, for the most part, but nobody it lost a lot of money. And, uh, well, and I, and I could see why because I a lot of it is Scorsese trying things that he ha- hasn't done, yeah, or or at least expanding on things that previously had never occupied that much space, yeah, in 
in one of his films. In, in the Martin Scorsese yeah, extended exactly. universe. Yeah. Um, what strikes me about this film is that it, it's kind of more of a Paul Schrader film than a Martin Scorsese film. Well, it's so verbose. Yeah. Like there's all that voiceover and even mm-hmm. the dialogue. People don't talk like that. No. Like the dialogue, especially between Nick Cage and his partner. Yeah, it's very stagey. Is, yeah, exactly. And yeah, I, I mean, it honestly, more than Taxi Driver, which it didn't really remind me of because Taxi Driver has, um, besides having- A story? <laughs> yeah, it has a story. It has some, some propulsion pushing it forward. And <clears throat> this movie is mostly- a, a series of vignettes and there's the two through line stories that it has, which is Nick Cage's character kind of falling in love with Patricia Arquette's character, um, slash stalking her and, uh, and Nick Cage struggling with this literal or, um, not ghost of, uh, this girl that he, tried to save but couldn't for some reason and neither of those like for as kind of scattered as this movie was those were actually like the parts that didn't work for me oh yeah me me too i i i would prefer this movie if those had been excised completely yeah they uh, both of them were weirdly inauthentic like not to mention like I mean that the whole the rose thing the the girl who he couldn't save was so like cliched like it just there's not another word for it it was just like and I I mean for all of Martin Scorsese's stylistic tricks which he kind of pulls out all of them that he can use for that (laughs) yeah he does and and they're cool does that they're cool, like you know him passing a bunch of women and having them all turn their heads like in a sequence, and as they turn their heads, they turn into her, like or they've filmed this whole th- sequence that when Nick Cage is high on uh, the Red Death, uh, the, this heroin, <laughs> this like version of super heroin <laughs> called Red Death that's in the in the story, uh, he he like sort of reimagines the him trying to save Rose, but they shot it backwards and then played it forwards. Yeah. That was actually one of the more effective sequences. I think it's cool. It's really cool. Actually in general, this movie got more interesting to me, the more fucked up his character got same. Like it's like the first half of the movie. I was not lost, but it was just kind of like, You're okay, like, why are we here? Exactly. Like, I'm where's just, where's this going? Right, right, right. And then, and then uh, apparently it, it goes to him doing the strongest form of street heroin one can get their hands on. And then from there on out, a lot of like drug trip dream sequences yeah. where people are like talking backwards and there's like people, there's like, like specters coming up out of the ground. Yeah. It, and it, like, it, it yeah. reminded me of insomnia actually that, um, you haven't seen, seen it. It's, no. uh, um, well, there's an original movie, and then there's an Al Pacino like remake, a Christopher Nolan remake that's actually really good. But it's just a cop trying to, or a detective trying to solve a murder case. But he's up north in some like Iceland or something during the time of the year where the sun never sets, mm-hmm. and he can't sleep. And so as it goes on, the world just gets more like bizarre. And 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 I mean that's what this was is like not only does he do heroin at one point, which doesn't help, but he. Uh, is they say he's living off of coffee and uh, and whiskey and uh, just working these like excruciating shifts, um, and yeah, like that leads to I think 
the most Scorsese parts of the movie, um, which are, yeah, like music, like the Ronettes playing while <laughs> like it's like doing jerky cuts of like sirens and lights flashing and, and shit like that. The editing was a huge highlight of this yeah. movie to me. And honestly, some parts where I felt the film was dragging, I feel like it was saved only by the editing. Yeah, same. Yeah, I mean, the the only kind of propulsion that the story has is this, is like, is Nick Cage's character going to lose it? And um, spoiler, he doesn't. Like, he, you know, it works out. And I didn't... But spoiler, not much else happens either. Right. I, I mean, maybe it would have been... Uh, a lesser movie. I, I can't tell if, if it had have ended with him just like passing out and dying or whatever. But like, um, but it does, it feels like it could have just gone on forever and ever and not in a good way. Yeah. And even the script itself had kind of a feeling of you're just dropped into this guy's world with yeah. no real sense. Like it feels to me like that, like he, he could have been doing that for, you don't know how long he was living that way right. before you like showed up to watch it. You uh, know, that's that's why I say that it it feels like more of a Paul Schrader film to me. <clears throat> like, have you ever seen American Gigolo? I love that movie. Yeah, this feels it. Uh, it feels like that in in to me in the sense that like you are kind of like you are kind of like why why are we here at this moment in this character's life? What is driving this story? Right, and um and also this theme that is a big Paul Schrader theme, I think, of thinking about this and thinking about, like, hardcore, which, weirdly, uh, the movie that 8mm ripped off, um, it is, like, this idea of, like, you can't, you, you can't go into the darkness or, you know, with and try and keep yourself removed from it. It's the old, you know, the darkness stares back right. or the void stares right. back. It's like it, it. And then before you know it, you're pistol whipping James Gandolfini. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Or, I mean, the, the, it's sort of the. the or, or you're drinking and driving while you're, while you're on fucking call in an yeah. ambulance. <laughs> I mean, it seems like Nick Cage is character it, all the characters all the ambulance driver characters in this movie are trying to cope with the just intense human suffering that they see and have to deal with every night in a pretty thankless job like um the, this movie makes the world of you know late night emting um very unattractive as oh, I'm sure yeah. it is. Well, I mean, and it, it not only makes it unattractive, it, it begs the question, are all EMTs just like unhinged psychopaths I, or saints? I, <laughs> I think, I think that's kind of the thing. It's like the, the reason that that's the thing that's sinking Nick Cage's character is that he has a conscience and he is, I think in it, it, it in a way trying to, be a good person or, right, or because he's, hold on he's to his doing, humanity. Yeah. So just to cue in the listeners that haven't seen it, although why you're listening to this, if you haven't seen it, I, I don't know. But anyway, regardless, um, uh, so he, he basically is losing it slowly throughout the course of the film because despite his best efforts, 
uh, doing his job the best he can. You know, uh, in a situation like being an EMT, there are going to be some you can't save. Right. So basically, the whole the whole problem and what's breaking his psyche is that he's had a a, a string a of dry streak. Right. A, a dry streak where he's lost. Uh, you know, he's just been losing people nonstop for, what did he say? It's been like, he said months. Yeah. He said it's been months and, and he hasn't been able to save anyone. So that is slowly wearing on him and, 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 you know, drives him to the dark side. Well, he, he also, I mean, he, in the voiceover, he literally compares saving, saving people to, uh, to doing a drug. And basically he, he hasn't had his fit, his fix. He's like, um, and I mean, you even see that when uh, Ving Rhames and him save the the baby from the mother who's giving birth. Dude, um, that scene was so intense. Yeah, it was hard. But Ving Rhames is like up yeah. afterwards. He's like, yeah, um, yeah. Uh, there's a there's a lot of really intense little vignettes in this movie. And I think, I think that is actually, thank you for saying the word vignette. Cause that's, I think something that might, might be an issue with how, with me being unable to connect to the material yeah. is it really felt like a series of unconnected vignettes, you know, yeah. like you're basically following Nick Cage from call to call right. night after night, but there's not a through line. There's not a compelling through right. line. They, they, right. the, the, the two that they pick, um, are don't work, and um, they. And, but Cage, it, it could Cage have. being in love with Cage with, being with in Arquette, with in, Patricia yeah. Arquette's character, yeah. and and Cage being haunted by this one. I mean, right. even like why that one specific girl? Like, they don't ever explain no. why that's significant, right? No. Yeah, it's, I, it's I, not, I thought maybe I missed it or something, but no, I don't think it's that he like you know that he fucked it up so bad that she died, but he could have saved her, or that you know there was something. There was no reason that it, it just was and we were supposed to accept I wonder that that's if, enough but it's like but we see so many like fucked up things yeah, throughout the course of the it's movie like, that why it's that like, one yeah i wonder if schrader knew and or if if it wasn't in the script i'm sure cage is the kind of actor where he would make that up just to have it for himself the, the that whole storyline yeah right yeah who knows i mean this is also this is based on a first time novel from an em Which, actual emt because this movie was like so overwhelmingly verbose i actually am really interested i i want to mm-hmm. read the novel now because i feel like this is probably a pretty compelling novel yeah but it's just something gets lost in translation with the something got lost with the adaptation right yeah or he's not a good author like you know that's the other but we don't know it's hard right. to tell like it's hard to tell how much of the language was his and how much yeah. is Schrader. So it, it, it's you know. right. And I, I just don't I don't know his voice, but I do know Paul Schrader's voice. The Scorsese Schrader team up, right. you know, gave me three or four, three, three, three previous movies that are like some of the best yeah, films ever, ever made. Yeah. So why did this one like that's why I think it might just be the source material. I, yeah. Yeah. I, I think so. And I think this movie actually doesn't seem to have in terms of like the you know Nick Cage and Patricia Arquette were working together for the first time and it seemed positive uh Scorsese and Paul Schrader had a falling out after um The Last Temptation of Christ and he this sort of made them friends again um and uh Seems yeah, it seems like a pretty positive thing all around. I, I guess uh, this is the movie that Cage took after the Superman thing fell through. Um, oh, so maybe there's a way for him to like exercise his demons that way since he basically lost the role of his lifetime. 
Yeah. Yeah. It's, I mean, it's hard to say. Uh, he definitely, he like, he turned down some bigger stuff to work with Scorsese on this movie. Yeah. So. I mean, and like who could fault him, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I guess he, he was in, to- he, he was in talks for Woody Allen's, uh, <clears throat> the sweet and lowdown, which went to Sean Penn <clears throat> and, uh, uh, a movie with Juliette Binoche called Miss Julie. Uh, another Mick, Mike Figgis movie who did Leaving Las Vegas. Um, he was offered the George Clooney role in Three Kings. And uh, No way. That would have been a movie. <laughs> that oh, would have wow. been a fucking movie. Oh, wow. And uh, I Am Legend. The one that Will Smith did. Yeah, the one that, well, yeah. It was originally going to be done with Arnold Schwarzenegger, but it, it took forever to get it off the ground. Yeah. Um, and the path and Pathfinder was that a Steven Seagal movie or something? <laughs> I, I forget who was in that. Know. Anyway, he turned all that down to to do this. And uh, speaking of Sean Penn, it was around this time that Sean Penn insulted Nick Cage in the press and destroyed their friendship. Uh, he uh, weirdly enough, I remember that being like something in the news from around I think the time? I brought it up before. I think I brought it up when we did the Racing with the okay. Moon episode. Sean Penn visited Patricia Arquette and Nick Cage on set for this movie and was like, he was like, oh, remember when we were young and we had so much fun and they like went out to dinner and he was like, you guys are my family. Like, I guess he called huh. them his family. And then like, like the next day or like <laughs> um, that... He, he talked with the press and he said, I saw Snake Eyes last night. It's not just that movie. It's it's most movies. As damaged as I am, as reckless as I am, I never murdered my voice. I think actors shit on their profession all the time. They can't do a pure movie again because they carry so much baggage. And then he, he said- He said this about Nick Cage? Yeah, and then he said more explicitly, this is in Newsweek, he said- um, he said, Nick Cage is not an actor. He could be again, but now he's more like a performer. And, uh, and he told Entertainment Weekly, he told multiple people, he was fucking, he was shitting on Nick Cage in multiple press outlets. He said that uh, he, he wouldn't do the kind of movies, he was, <laughs> this, is, this is what he says, it would be impossible to do the kind of movies I want to do if you accept a $20 million fee, which is exactly the salary that Nick commands. So by taking movies that pay him less money, he's a better actor. This is kind of the start of, I think, Nick Cage's kind of, he, he started to become a bit more of a parody of himself. Yeah. Um, I, I think like, you know, we're, I think the family man's next, right? Gone in 60 seconds. Gone in 60 seconds, right. And then the family then man. The family so. Man. You know, yeah. it, it, it's this about the turning point that we had yeah. uh, pointed out before, but but at least he seems like a nice enough guy. Unlike Sean Fuck, Penn. Yeah, Sean Penn sucks. Um, but Nick Cage was very hurt. Uh, he, he said... Yeah, Dave, could you imagine if like 10 years from now, if you if you go to Newsweek and you're like, listen, the salaries that Miles accepts for being on other podcasts, he's not an artist. He's not a podcaster. He's more of just a, a performer. I'd be upset with you. Yeah, yeah just justifiably. Uh, um, he, he said, he's worked several times with my wife and I consider him mi familia. 
There are a lot of my fellow actors who are jealous of my success. We don't have to put each other down in the process. Or, no, I'm sorry, down in the press. Now I'm aware of his true colors. It's like, so. uh, it's like when people get on like Twitter beef nowadays. Yeah, yeah, but it was all done just in the press. Uh, also, <laughs> Sean Penn was straight up subtweeting Nick Cage. He was. And, and then Nick Nolte joined in. And, Wait, what? And Hold on. <laughs> Why is Nick Nolte the fucking authority on this? <laughs> Who t- the fuck is Nick Nolte? He told, he told USA Today that newspaper that you get outside of your hotel room door. <laughs> he said, Nick's gone. Nick was a marvelous actor. Then bam, you know, he's got to turn down $20 million. And insult of all insults, Stephen Baldwin in a radio interview <laughs> said that Nick was quote ugly. And I just don't enjoy his movies. Oh, man. Stephen Baldwin of Biodome and turning into a Christian piece of shit. And the Flintstones? Yeah, and the Flintstones. Right? The Flintstones sequel. Oh. The Flintstones in Viva Rock Vegas. Yeah. You know when Rick Moranis doesn't want to come back for the role <laughs> that they give you? That's yeah. when it's bad. Yeah, yeah. And I think, oh, no, Jerry O'Connell was in that movie, but he didn't play Fred. Tom Arnold? <laughs> I don't know. It doesn't matter. <laughs> anyway. Dude, we should take a half hour to digress on the Simpsons. On the, on the, on the, <laughs> on the Flintstones. Flintstones and Viva Rock Yeah, Vegas. yeah, yeah, definitely. <laughs> Actually. We, we were going to talk about bringing out the dead, but yeah. instead, you know, we should pivot. Dude, honestly, that movie is kind of weird. <laughs> it's, it's worth a watch. Uh, if anyone's interested. It's more, sur- it's, it's the babe pig in the city to the original Flintstones babe. <laughs> 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 um, uh, okay. So, you know, I mentioned the, the Ronettes and like the soundtrack as being kind of Scorsese and which it is in half, but you know, for a, a filmmaker who is probably as known for the music that he includes as, uh, as a filmmaker, um, as like Quentin Tarantino yeah. or anyone else, this was a really weirdly like late nineties Scorsese soundtrack. Yeah, super weird. Because it starts out with Van Morrison and you're like, okay, yes, I, it's like Goodfellas or whatever. Right. <laughs> and then fucking R.E.M. Yeah, that's right. 90s R.E.M. That's me, right. What's the frequency Kenneth happens and plays for, I think, the whole song. Does, it, does the whole thing play out? I, I remember they so. at least got through the first chorus. It plays like, out during a scene with Mark Anthony. Is yeah, Mark yeah. Anthony is in this that movie also. Was crazy to me that Mark Anthony was there. Yeah, and uh, but I guess it was a sign of the times, right? Yeah, I guess so. Also on the soundtrack, Natalie Merchant. Merchant. Yeah, Natalie Merchant and Jane's Addiction. Yeah. Um, weird. Super. It felt weird. really weird, especially when the like, you know, he started playing the Phil Spector stuff again. You're like, what? <laughs> what movie is this? Um. So this role was uh, initially going to go to Edward Norton, um, but Scorsese wanted Cage. Uh, I think Edward Norton would have actually been a better choice. I actually think so, but he already played. He already had one movie where he had split personality. So what movie is that? Two actually, because Fight Club. Fight Although Club, Fight Club right. happened after this, I guess. No, it was before this. Oh, was it? Yeah. Well, I was thinking. I think so. Yeah, I was thinking Primal Fear was the other. Oh one. yeah. My theory about bringing out the dead is that each of his. Uh, 
ride along partners is is like a different facet of his own personality. That makes like, this a more interesting movie. It's, it's yeah, it's like a literal Fight Club situation. Yeah, I I think that is a a, a fun read on what is essentially like Paul Schrader just sort of putting these like one dimensional straw man characters in uh, yeah. the the cockpit of the well because they each provided a they each provided a sounding board mm-hmm. for Nick Cage as well as they provided the counter, they provided a different yet equally contrasting counterpoint yeah. for like all of his essentially like neuroses and fears that he was like spewing out at them. Which is necessary because his character is kind of boring. His character is also kind of one dimensional. Like he's the most boring character in this movie. Also, can we talk about how fucking crazy that ending is where he just jumps off the balcony and like gets impaled by the, by the steel, like, yeah, like, that, that was one of my favorite scenes, actually. And he's just hanging there with it, like, coming up through his stomach and, like, Nick Cage is, like, trying to comfort him while they're burning it off. That was that was a cool scene. Oh, my God. I'm Yeah, I that's... And the the sparks flying off yeah. of the, uh, the fence that they're, like, cutting yeah. through, like, become fireworks. But looking at this IMDb page, I just found out that Queen Latifah played the dispatcher. Yeah, I read that in the credits. That's wild. I, it's super wild. Also, Marty Scorsese did the male dispatch voice. Yeah, I picked up on that. Also, this reminds me, that there's a character in this movie named I.B. Bangin'. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Dude, the goth club. <laughs> the goth Another club. entry in the illustrious yes. line of crazy clubs that <laughs> Nick Cage has to go to yeah. in, in any of his movies. Yeah, this is... <laughs> Although we are we are definitely in the nineties now, so the, the dude, late nineties. It looked like all of those kids in that goth club for sure bought a Marilyn Manson CD. Oh yeah, they like, like were a Marilyn Manson CD. I it reminded me of movies like um, uh, what's that movie where Arnold Schwarzenegger has to fight the devil? End, End of, of days. days. Yes, <laughs> yeah. yes, I love that movie. That movie's so good. Yeah, it, it, had, it had a bit of that feeling to it. Um, <laughs> It was very, uh, yeah, very Nine Inch Nails. Okay, what what else is there to say? Okay, the the uh, a, a Scorsesean thing that was throughout this was like this kind of like Catholic shit. Yeah. Um, like there's the character's name is Mary. They uh, there's a virgin birth. Like you right. know, the, yeah. this woman gives birth, and the guy's like, "No, she's a virgin. She's," a virgin. and we don't get any explanation about that. That was super weird. So I was watching it with a with Alex, uh-huh. who uh, for all the listeners appeared on our uh, episode a while back um, uh, on the, uh, Raising Arizona. Right. But he was as you we were watching it. He he was like the scene ended, and and he asked me, which he wasn't talking out loud very much during this movie at all. But he he turned around and he asked me, he was like, "Wait, so like." did they have sex? And I was like, no, I think that, I think that she had sex with someone else and right. he just didn't know. But then I realized like, that's not even the point of that scene yeah. because it's obviously, but it's the more symbolic than it is having to actually do with anything happening in reality. Yeah. But then it's weird because Nick Cage's character is talking so much about how he wants to save somebody and they do, they save a little baby and Bing Rames is like over the moon, but it doesn't fix Cage's problem at all, which then I was like, oh, well, there goes that through line. Like, well, you know, like why? 
why do that if it's not going to be like well, a turning then, point? Then the movie would have been over right there. Or it would have gone somewhere to, else, had, somewhere but, interesting. You know, there was another 45 minutes that we had to watch of him being uh, really Sad. angsty. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I liked the Oasis. I, I mean, that scene probably went on too long. But, but no, but I actually liked it. And because it was kind of a... Well, first of all, it's a turning point where the movie got kind of bonkers, right. which, which the, I appreciated. But the Oasis is essentially the like the flop house that right. uh, uh, he follows Patricia Arquette to, where she does Red Death. Okay, uh, so a couple heroine. things. A couple things that were red herrings about the Oasis. The first one being, I thought that Patricia Arquette was going to die from that drug mm-hmm. overdose. Yeah, never happened. The second red herring when they go back, when he goes back afterward and it had been attacked, you know, like that's where he finds him impaled on the, on the gate. <laughs> right. Right. So as he's walking back up and you realize you, you put it together as he's coming down the hall, that it's the same building that, that he's heading toward the Oasis's room. Right. I was like, Oh fuck. Now, now she's now dead. She's dead Cause she yeah. was there and they killed her. Right. But, no. When he, he hallucinates, he hallucinates Rose, uh, right. like dead on the floor there, but there's a, cause there's all this water coming out the door and blood. But at that point you don't really know what's real and what's not, it's, which is cool. Um, the seemingly most important maybe story part of this be, just, and I say that just because it's sort of the penultimate scene uh, is with Mary's dad um, who is it take, he's, he's in the emergency room for a while and they, they have to keep giving him CPR, keep shock defibrillating him. And uh, while the, this place is completely overcrowded and stuff and uh, every time Nick Cage sees him, um, he hallucinates, or actually hears telepathically Mary's dad talking it, to him. It's ambiguous which one it is. <laughs> in, in his head being like, kill me, basically. Just kill me. And at the end of the movie, he does. And yeah, and, and, and honestly, I've never in a film seen someone so blatantly, like that's, that's a, you know, unplugging someone is, is a theme that, I've seen other movies that have dealt with it, right. but I've never seen a film where they show in great detail the actual turning off and unplugging. Well, it's it's and it it's actually, crazy because he he takes the breathing apparatus yeah. and he and he hooks himself up to the machine so it keeps reading his pulse so he can make sure that the guy dies. Right, and then like takes him off really quick. And the when so when the nurse comes in, he's like trying to give him CPR and it's not treated it. I don't, I mean, they don't give you an easy answer for that. Like, was that a, a was that a compassionate thing to do or not? He shows up at Patricia Arquette's place and lies to her. Yeah. In the last oh, scene. So, so earlier when I said this is like taxi driver, except he's not homicidal, I guess I was, I, Fuck yeah. I, had, I had forgotten about the ending. He literally kills someone. He does kill someone. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But like, is it a compassionate act? Is it a heroic act or well, something? Well, I mean, like, really, to answer that, you have to you have to answer the question: Was he actually psychically getting communicated with? And, yeah, and was he actually asking him to unplug? And that would have been, or was a, that the heroine talking? <laughs> that would have been a cool movie. I know. <laughs> um, Bringing out the dead too. <laughs> 
where he he can't stop hearing the voices of the dead. <laughs> he has to kill them all. He's just killing everybody. They won't shut up. Um, just when you thought it was safe to bring out the dead. <laughs> Can we, just when you thought it was safe to bring the dead back in. <laughs> we're bringing them back out. Um, National Lampoon's bringing out the dead too. <laughs> The three actors who he rides with, I think I'll do a good job, especially Ving Rhames. Dude, Ving Rhames murders it in this movie. He's so good in this movie. He is the best part of this movie by a long shot. The funniest scene is when they're in the goth club trying to revive I Be Bangin', and he goes, and he starts doing, like, the the preacher thing. Yeah. And he's, you know, and he's like, I need you all to to join hands. Right. And I need you to, you know, and and he's just clearly fucking with them. Yeah. He's fucking with them so hard, and, but because their friend's dying and he's the EMT, they have to just all go along with it. Yeah. And, like, hope for the best. He makes, he makes them hold hands before he revives their friend also i mean he gets there and he's like ah he's dead yeah and nick is just like no he overdosed we can actually save him he's like all right if you guys want me to say <laughs> save your friend you need and he puts him through this thing but he's also like it's implied he's he's actually christian yeah and we'll see i think that he actually had had a career as a preacher or some kind uh, of maybe. public speaker before and that's why because he's he's the guy that's actually enjoying his job yeah he's the only one and he's the only emt or even doctor or really anyone in the movie who is actually enjoying Enjoying their day-to-day life he says it's the best job in the world right so he's actually getting what he wants out of the job as opposed to literally everyone else in the movie he's fucking miserable and then he flips the ambulance (laughs) and we never hear from him again he like crashes the ambulance yeah nick cage walks away he's like i quit goes and does super heroin and then, uh, and then just comes back. He's like, yeah. <laughs> and, and Ving Rhames is ch- like chomping on a, like, cigar. like a half, a half smoked cigar the entire time. Yes. Really weird. It's such a weird characterization, but yeah. it, it's, it's the most compelling one in the whole film. I think it's my favorite role I've ever seen him in, which, and he was in, um, Con Air. Yeah, that's right. Diamond Dog. Yeah. And I think he was in, uh, what was that shitty one? Um, <laughs> Oh, <laughs> uh, fuck! Kiss of death. Kiss of death. He's in kiss yeah, of yeah, death yeah, too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're right. I uh, like how you said that shitty one. You got to be way I know, more specific. I know. It's <laughs> <laughs> like reaching to define it. Um, so he's good. Tom Sizemore is, is good. As I mean, his character is also really bizarre. He uh, is kind of a sadist. Yeah, I guess he just like. like to blow off steam. He, he's like constantly like revving for blood. He keeps talking about how he wants to go see blood. And then he wants to like, you know, he, when they, they see Mark Anthony, he just, he's like, okay, like, y- you know, Nick Cage is feeling antsy. He's like, well, we'll just beat the shit out of this guy. <laughs> <laughs> they, they beat, they just beat the dude up. Yeah. Just two EMTs with a baseball bat, like cornering a homeless dude. Which, again, it makes me wonder, like, are all the EMTs this unhinged? yeah it's I, I mean does it just come with the territory my buddy uh is an emt in detroit oh and man he told me that it's That's gotta be rough he said it's similar to being a, a wartime medic that they actually like say that it emt's trauma associated with that job is similar to uh, medics who've gone to war um just because it's so violent all the time and he he told me some stories it's it's a, it sounds like 
an incredibly hard job. And this movie does communicate that. I mean, it is, if there's actually any kind of like, I think message to this movie, um, or like really deep thing that it does get across is it's like, how does someone cope with a job that asks that much of them? And, you know, we see Ving Rhames's character coping through religion and sexually harassing the, the Queen Latifah and, um, just and just be you you see why his character is there you see tom sizemore coping by you know beating up helpless people beating the shit out of his uh his uh, ambulance yeah he, he has that yeah, he, he busts the he busts the headlights he has, right yeah. yeah he has a scene earlier on where he's talking about how he respects the vehicle because he's like tried to destroy it before and it, it won't let him <laughs> that at the end of the movie we just see him beating on it and then John Goodman's character who's like, you know, he, he eats, he, he just looks forward to like food and is like sort of, I, I don't, he seems disconnected in completely, completely disconnected. disconnected yeah. and, and he doesn't answer. He doesn't want to answer the radio when they get a right, call. Like right. every time a call comes in, he's like, don't answer it. Don't answer yeah. it. Yeah. Whereas, uh, Bing Rames always wants to right. answer. Um, so, and, and that's interesting. It's interesting to see those people because they're not. I, I think the movie makes a, enough of a case that they're not bad guys, even Tom Sizemore, in the sense that, I mean, they, they're still committing acts of great heroism every night. Right. Uh, and, even though they're deeply flawed and right. probably morally bankrupt individuals. Yeah. And, and how do we as a society, uh, you know deal with that how do we how do we you know make that come to make that okay for right. ourselves and chewy and um i don't think a lot of people want to think about that <laughs> like, i don't yeah even after seeing this movie i still don't want to think about it's it. fucked up yeah it's fucked up yeah and uh so it makes sense that the the author had this story like you know sitting inside of him he's like you know, no one wants to look at this world. Do you know if he's written? Has he? What has he written since then? I think this is it. Really? Yeah. Wow. Yeah, I, I, sure. I might see if I can track down a, a copy and read this book. This, yeah. this seems pretty interesting. Uh, yeah, at least to get like a flavor of yeah, it. Yeah, right. Do we have anything more to say about this movie? It's. I mean, it's. I, think I pretty much covered it. Yeah, I do want to say one thing that mm -hmm. uh, I think it's worth watching once. Yeah, I at agree. Least, at least for nothing else than just the level of talent in like that worked on it, you know, like, yeah. I mean, it's really crazy that this much talent is in one movie and it's kind of weird that it doesn't land still. Right. Even with that many people involved. Um, but I do think it's historic for that reason. And so I think it's worth a viewing. Um, and, and also it's, it's, there's another reason it's historic. It was the last North American title released on Laserdisc. Oh shit. Really? Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. We could have watched this movie on Laserdisc. We could have. I don't... If anyone has a Laserdisc player... Isn't it supposed to be kind of like the best format? I've heard that... I it, don't know it, about it that. It holds up like... I, I don't know. I mean, Criterion Collection started on Laserdisc, and I know that they well, have... They, I mean, it was definitely way better than VHS. Right. I know that they have some titles that they still have on Laserdisc that they haven't released on DVD or Blu-ray that are, like, collectible, but... Interesting. I don't know... Uh, I've never watched a laser disc, so I don't know what they look like. It's funny just being in uh, 
LA, I think more than anywhere else, thrift stores have a bunch just of just a laser bunch discs of laser discs in yeah. with the vinyl. Yeah. Um, so <laughs> I want to end with uh, with a really th- so Scorsese before he agreed to do this movie, he was working on um, uh, this project that he'd been working on forever that still hasn't come to fruition, um, which was a, a biopic about Dean Martin called Dino. <laughs> and So now this doesn't surprise me that this has been like Scorsese's I know. <laughs> like, like unicorn. Yeah. It's a, the, a biopic about Dean Martin, like the most Italian entertainer possible called like, Dino. <laughs> Dino. Um, all right, dude, you're from New York. We get it. Like, <laughs> Um, I'm actually just going to read this section of the unauthorized biography of Nicolas Cage, the man behind Captain Corelli by Ian Markham Smith and Liz Hodgson, published by Blake Publishing Limited, 3 Brainbur Court, 2 Brainbur Road, London, W14, 9PB, England. Here we go. Uh, Scorsese was also committed to a deal with Warner Brothers on a biographical picture, Dino, about the legendary singer Dean Martin. Wait, Cage was going to play Dino? No. Oh, Oh, God, okay. With Tom Hanks set for the title role. However, the project was bogged down with problems, not least of which was trying to work out the schedules for the ideal dream team of stars thought to be the perfect choices for Dino's Rat Pack buddies, Frank Sinatra, Sammy Davis Jr., Peter Lawford, Joey Bishop, and for his longtime on-screen partner and off-screen adversary, Jerry Lewis. The frontrunners for the ideal cast were, who do you think they wanted to play Jerry Lewis? Jim Carrey. Jim Carrey. <laughs> Jim Wait, Car- am I right? Yeah. Oh, wow. I was trying to think of like like actors at that time yeah. that they would have, yeah. Who do you think they wanted to play Sinatra? I don't know. Who? Travolta. Oh, that's interesting. <laughs> Sammy Davis Jr.? Chris Rock? That's a really good guess, but Wesley Snipes. Wesley Snipes. <laughs> oh, my God. Hold on. <laughs> Peter Lawford, um, they wanted Hugh Grant. Ooh, okay. And for Joey Bishop, Adam Sandler. (laughs) Imagine that film. Yeah, that's a shame. Yeah. I would see that movie. (laughs) I want to see it now with those same actors. (laughs) With those same, it's just way too old to be playing those parts. (laughs) Also, like, Wesley Snipes, like, isn't even acting anymore, is he? What was the last thing he was in? I don't, he might Jim Carrey's completely lost it. Jim Carrey is completely out there. And uh, Adam Sandler. He can only be in his own productions for the rest of his life. He was in that Noah Baumbach movie. It's supposed to be pretty good. Oh, yeah. I haven't seen that yeah. yet. Should I, I watch it? it? I don't know. Oh. Probably. I'd like, yeah. <laughs> anyway. But. Um, you know what? If, if Cage isn't in it, I'm not interested. <laughs> <laughs> I refuse to see a movie that Cage is not in. Yeah. That's where we're at right now. It's, it's like we're trying to get our own fix of Red Death. Um, so. Next time, the 21st century, we're going to be doing the third installment of the the Midnight Trilogy or the fourth installment of the Midnight Trilogy, if you count Snake Eyes. Yeah. Uh, gone in 60 seconds. Cool. And, um, so this being the last Cage film of the 20th century. Yeah. Uh, or rather, for the purposes, for these purposes, the last Cage film of the 90s. Um, I thought uh, as a good recap to this episode, we could just take a minute to run down our uh, 
top three favorite 90s cage films and yeah. top three worst 90s cage films. Great idea. Or I guess bottom three worst <laughs> 90s cage films. I mean, there's a lot of good ones. There's this, a lot of good ones. This might this might take a minute of, of having to kind of distill it. Well, okay, I'll start since I know my since I know my top three favorites. Okay. Um, so number one is Wild at Heart. And I know that was on the cusp. It was 1990. I think that's my number one too. Yeah. And then uh, my second one, um, I think probably it was actually a hard, my, my, my number two was kind of a hard toss up between, uh, between The Rock and Leaving Las Vegas. Mm. But I think because of my number one choice, I'm going to have to go with, the, with uh, Leaving Las Vegas. Okay. Because it's in a different genre. But there's just something so raw and brutal yeah. about leaving Las Vegas that no other film really gives you that same kind of vibe. Yeah. I, and, I, and it's, it's kind of like a, a genius feat of filmmaking in that respect. I, I think what's so brutal about it is that the characters are having fun. Yeah. It, it shows like alcoholism as something that will kill you. And it shows that killing yourself can be kind of fun. Right. It, it hurts everyone around you. Yeah. But, um, yeah. yeah. And, and that's, uh, that's a hard pill to swallow. I think, and then my and then my my number one is Face Off. Yeah, definitely, because there's just no other fucking movie that has ever been made like Face Off. Yeah, I, I mean Con Air for me. Yeah, I, I you know that's uh, we've we've talked about um, that you're a Face Off person and I'm a Con Air person, but uh, I think that whole trilogy. I mean, even even the Rock, the Rock is the lesser of those three, but it's still a great movie in its way. Um, so the worst, I mean, guarding Tess, I think was the angriest I I've been at a movie. Yeah. Guarding Tess, I think is my number one least favorite of the nineties as well. Um, trapped in paradise was also really bad. Uh, I don't even, I literally don't even remember that one. Yeah. John Lovitz. And Dana I mean, Carvey. Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, Ugh. see, I okay. So that one was really bad. Um, uh, Am- one, Amos and Andrew was also uh, just. It's a toss-up for me between Amos and Andrew, I think, and Trapped in Paradise for the second worst, right? Because it's just like, <laughs> you know, it's just like who even, like, who are those movies made for? Yeah, um, no one. Anyway, and then I think my probably or I guess it would be number three um, worst, would have to go to Firebirds. Firebirds. It, it has, yeah, to, it it has, has to, to be Firebirds. Birds. That movie is It's garbage. It's, it's just, it's, it's <laughs> honestly, I don't very often say that like pieces, you know, like certain art or, or works pieces of media. Like shouldn't have ever been made <laughs> because I, I, I know how much it takes to, right. You know, and and even though the worst uh, or the most sloppy me, thing can can right, have value, right? But literally, Firebirds is worthless. Firebirds actually makes the world a worse place by being by literally being a piece of military propaganda, um, and uh, if it lured children into wanting wanting to uh, fly helicopters so they could blow things up and and uh, shoot people. Um, shoot brown people then it's like it uh it deserves a place on the bottom three and then uh i'm gonna go as some as some wild cards yeah uh, you know just sort of like uncategorizable but i think that they're they're worth 
like I think everybody should see them at least once mm-hmm. in their life. Uh, I'm gonna go with Deadfall and, yes. Re- and and Red Rock Re- Red Rock West. Yeah. Um, I think they're both really interesting movies, and and yeah, even if you're not a crazy Cage fan, I think they're still worth seeing. Um, I will throw into that. I agree, and I will throw into that Zandali, um, as being a really under appreciated among uh, lovers of just fucked up stupid cinema like that is a a forgotten classic and well worth your time i agree um i 100 percent agree oh here's here's an anecdote um about bringing out the dead that fits in um when when that movie was released uh, City of Angels was the movie that was in theaters, and he, or I'm sorry, that not when it was released, when it, when they were starting to film it. City of Angels was in theaters, and um, Nick Cage to prepare for the role was riding around in ambulances with EMTs, but he decided that he had to wear a disguise because he didn't want people to think he was like his character from City of Angels coming <laughs> coming to take them to heaven. But don't watch City of Angels. That belongs on no list. Yeah, I, I, I agree. Uh, yeah. yeah, so is that it then? That's it. Are we good? All right, this has been another thrilling episode of Heat Seeking Panther. Join us next week when we cover Gone, Gone in 60, 60 Seconds. seconds.